Hi friends, I wanted to thank you for being patient with release schedules as of late. As y'all know, this is a labor of love that is ad-free, so I have no income from it. And hence, sometimes when life is in full swing, it can take a back seat, but I really appreciate you sticking with me. And I appreciate the container that this show provides for conversations that I, and hopefully you, can learn so much from. Um, so thank you for listening and for being patient. Um, some housekeeping, I'll be on a panel called Chaos and Clarity, Mental Health in the Electronic Music Ecosystem, hosted by W Hotels in partnership with Circle for Amsterdam Dance Event on October 18th in Amsterdam. If you're at ADE, uh, don't hesitate to say hi. And also, um, it should be streamable, so that's what Google's for. <laughs> um, I'm also um, presently training for uh, to be a consent educator with awesome consent wizard Mia Schachter, friend of show. Um, and I need some guinea pigs. So if you want to learn about consent as a practice of liberation and authenticity in all areas of life, thrilling, uh, please slide into my DMs at Instagram uh, at L-O-U-I-S-A-H-H-H. That's Instagram at Louisa. This would be free. Um, this would be potentially one-on-one -on -one or small group sessions online learning about consent. Uh, very cool, very fun, very chill, very useful. Tell your friends. <laughs> Without further ado, uh, this is Sober Sex. Creativity, authenticity, body autonomy, mental health, sexuality, gender identity, recovery, recovery, got it, mental growth. Brianna Hammerman is a psychotherapist based in Boulder, Colorado, specializing in equine-assisted psychotherapy. She is also an old friend, a shameless horse girl, and co-host of Unbridled Therapist podcast. I am thrilled to welcome her to the show today. I know. I love seeing your face. It feels like it was like no time has passed, even though your <laughs> like life has years. happened and so many things have happened. And I appreciate your very well-decorated wall. Like oh. for listeners, Brianna has like a, a ribbon wall, <laughs> which is very impressive. <laughs> and congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I like having them displayed. They're helpful for just, yeah, reminding me of some of the cool things I've done. Yeah. I mean, also, is this your like therapy chamber? <laughs> it is. There's like a lovely bookshelf over here that now nobody sees because... I either meet uh, out at the farm with the horses or in nature um, or virtual. So I have like this office space set up. <laughs> um, it's just very pleasant for me. <laughs> it's lucky, lucky you. Um, yes. But that's awesome. So, so to kind of jump in, like, how are you? What's going on? Yeah, I'm great. I have uh, a lot of exciting things in the lineup, a very busy month ahead, but overall things are really good. I love what I've created for my life and, um, and for my practice and, um, yeah, things, things are good. That's fucking awesome to hear. I'm, I'm feeling like 
true delight in my heart hearing that because it seems like it's a very genuine, a genuine and real joy that you are, uh, that you're in touch with in this, this life. So for listeners, um, I might, I might mention this in the intro, intro that I'm going to record, <laughs> but, um, Brianna and I've known each other for a really long time. We used to ride together as, uh, preteens and adolescents. And this is the first time we've been in touch in, a, in like 25 years. So, you know, we have a lot to catch up on. <laughs> Kieran's over sex. Um, <laughs> and before we begin, what are your pronouns? Uh, she, her, hers. Um, and I identify as cisgender female. Cool. And then, and, and kind of as a, as a light warm up question, <laughs> not so much. We, we like to ask Let's about your experience of gender today. <laughs> what? What's your experience of gender today? <laughs> uh, gender today, I mean, I identify as... For you, as, yeah. Yeah, I identify as female, and um, I mean, I definitely know that it is fluid for folks, and um, yeah, welcome cool. to interact. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And do you feel like it's changed since you've become a mom? Ooh. Um, I think lots of things have changed <laughs> uh, since I've become a mom. Um, I think the roles, I'm not sure so much about the identity piece, um, gender specifically, but I think, you know, I'm really lucky. I have a really supportive partner. Um, we both work from home. And so I think just having a, both of our nervous systems in the house really is helpful. Um, but yeah, like a lot of roles, I'm mom, I'm partner, I'm businesswoman, I'm boss, I'm a lot of things. Um, so I think, I think it's added some roles for sure. Yeah, I can only imagine. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, and like, obviously, as I mentioned, it's been a while since we've seen each other. And you, you mentioned a practice and obviously we're going to introduce you as a psychotherapist based in Boulder, Colorado. But can you like catch me up and maybe talk about like what, what the journey has been like <laughs> since we've last seen each other? Oh, yes. Uh, so 25 years of journey. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> uh, yeah, no big deal. Um, I mean, I think mo like when I think about the journey I've had since we've seen each other and it started together like with horses, they have really been my compass. Um, I mean, I get a lot of purpose and meaning from them. I wouldn't say they are my purpose and meaning on this planet, but I... Um, I feel like they have given me so much direction in life. Um, I mean, getting out to Colorado was more for, for school and just like loving the, the vibe and the feeling um, here. But through that, when I wasn't sure like what I was going to do or what to major in, you know, you get all those questions. I got all those questions like early on. Like, What's your major going to be? What are you going to do for a job? It's like, I don't know. Give me a fucking minute. I just, I'm 18. I just got here. I don't know. Um, you know, the people I met and decisions I made, like whenever I wasn't sure, I just usually turned to horses and that's ultimately how they, you know, how it spurred my private practice. And we can talk more about what I did before private practice too. No. Awesome. And I definitely identify with that being kind of like a North of how, mm -hmm. like the kind of person I want to show up as has a lot to do with that, that part of my life. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, that's, I'm, I'm so moved to see that it's been kind of a through line for both of us and like how fortunate for that to be the case. Do you get to spend any time with horses? Oh yeah. I mean, like I'm recently, like in the last year and a half have moved to the, the countryside of France after, um, 
So when my horse Jesse died, I felt like I was living here. It had been like, it was 2016, so it was not that long ago. Yeah. Um, and I felt like I was kind of, the, the, my identity as like horse girl <laughs> was very attached to him. And that without him, like he retired a, a while before, or like while I moved to France. And then I was kind of like, I when when that happened, I felt like, oh man, like, I need something to kind of anchor that identity because it feels such, like you said, like a powerful compass. And so I started riding again here um, and then kind of moved to the countryside to, in a way, pursue that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been like, and when you talk about like nervous systems I, I'm, and I think about like how much that regulates my nervous system to be in a, in a space where that's a possibility to, you know, ride five days a week and to kind of have this rhythm that I think is like, so kind of innate. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt it like my whole body just had a, like a, like a little shiver when you talked about your nervous system and like having awesome. that too. So. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's so cool also like into, you know, listeners, I'll talk about this at the top of the show. So Brianna, the reason we reconnected is because Brianna has an awesome podcast called Unbridled Therapist that we'll get into a little bit later. But this, you know, this idea of kind of how (laughs) it might be kind of off brand for this podcast, but like, I don't think so. You guys know that I'm a fucking horse girl. Deal with it. (laughs) Can't take the horse girl out no matter where she is. It's just like part of your blood. Present. (laughs) Yeah. And we were, I mean, the barn rats, I don't even know if they are barn rats anymore, but like being a barn rat, we were there all day, every day, breathing, (laughs) eating, Sleeping, talking. Obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> Obsessed. And clearly nothing has changed. <laughs> so maybe we like mask it better in other parts of our lives, but not really. I mean. <laughs> I mean, I made a profession out of it. So I get to like professionally talk about it all the Which time. is so awesome. You know, I mean, honestly, like I, so during the pandemic, I was like, maybe it's time to reorient from a career as a techno DJ. And I, I, my, like my own therapy is in Gestalt and there's like the Gestalt Institute of the Rockies, which is like. Yes, right here. Right there. (laughs) Fascinating. I'm like, wait, so you can be like a gestalt equine therapist? Like, is this my greatest pursuit? (laughs) (laughs) And actually, maybe we'll see what the future holds. (laughs) But that's so sick that you're kind of right there and, and, and kind of managing this career. And I, you know, I guess to kind of like take us back um, and to something that might be slightly more <laughs> tied into the subjects of sober sex. Um, you mentioned in your bio uh, working with trauma and eating disorders earlier in your career, which I think is very relevant to the sober part of the sober sex podcast. And also probably, uh, you know, in terms of like trauma to the sexual part, um, would you mind in discussing initially what kind of led you to those areas of focus? Absolutely. It's a great question. Um, unlike the horses didn't steer me here. <laughs> they come back, they come back in. But um, I fell into working with eating disorders while I was in graduate school. Um, I was I'm still doing the ac- academic part of grad school. The program I did did like two years of well, all the coursework and then you did a practicum later. So this was even before practicum. Um, I had a colleague who or a a peer in school who worked there and really loved the work she was doing. I didn't know much about it. Eating disorders are a specialty. You usually learn more about them later on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I ended up getting a job. I applied, got a job there, and I ended up starting to work um, on the floor in the milieu. 
those are usually words people who are in the trenches, really, honestly. <laughs> yeah, other people talk about it. And um, later on, once I graduated, I became hired as a family therapist, which was amazing because I got to work with the family members, like supporting them, increasing their understanding um, of eating disorders and both their loved one, um, how to create in a recovery focused environment, both like emotionally and physically for them, um, which also mean like look at your family dynamics and see how the eating disorder is functioning for both your loved one and as a system. I kind of think for sure another member of the family, um, the eating disorder, the eating disorder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I mean, yeah, can that's so interesting. Yeah, for sure. I know. Cause I mean, I, I went through treatment for, for drug addiction and, a lot of the emphasis was on kind of disrupting family dynamics and it's, in, I, but I did not necessarily hear about, and this is like a this is like 17 years ago. So the, the practices have probably changed in the meantime, but like, that's a really interesting, like, I remember them being like, your family has to write a letter to your drug of choice. <laughs> and that was kind of as far, which was like, my dad was like, dear coca leaf. <laughs> I was like, dad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so real. Michael Pilat. Um, Michael Pilat. Bring it back. <laughs> But this idea of um, kind of like the silent member of the family, because I do think in a lot of ways that uh, disordered eating can, at least in my experience, can kind of control all family dynamics and behaviors. And that, of course, it would be like the silent member. (laughs) And so that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and so like while I was on the floor, so much of the like what I started to see was like actually the care that we were sure like the treatment team. Right, your ther- so therapist, family therapist, doctor, nurse, dietitian, like you have a care team, but then we have all this milieu staff or floor staff, and they're with the patients like day in, day out, doing like carrying out these <laughs> behavioral changes mm. and helping folks in the moment. And I was, and, and realizing how important that was, like whether it was eating meals or like, you know, supervised bathroom visits or just like, um, supporting them after a difficult session. And I just really realized how therapeutic that part was. And I think it gets under underrated. Um, and the most fascinating part was these patients were, oh my God, so smart, so smart. They knew intellectually everything that they needed to do to recover. They could talk about it. They could probably teach the groups better than I could, which was, you know, frankly, fucking scary as a new therapist trying to teach that, you know, and then be like, that's an army of geniuses. (laughs) Oh my God. Brilliant. Brilliant. And then I would see them not be able to do the thing they needed to do that would help themselves. Mm -hmm. So I was like, really the disconnect between mind and body was profound, obviously now looking back on it, duh, like eating disorders, I kind of talk about living from the neck up. And like discrediting all the experience that's happening in the body. Not, not dissimilar, I think from some drug use for sure. No, for sure. But I do think it's more like the nice thing about going to treatment for drugs or alcohol is that like abstinence is kind of the easiest part while you're actively in treatment. And unfortunately, like, you know, the next question is like, obviously there are parallels between eating disorders and addiction and I've struggled with both (laughs) and Mm -hmm. the sensation of like obsession and powerlessness and like, again, like knowing what you should do and not being able to do it or not like kind of teetering between like willingness to do it because you want to save yes. your life, but also feeling like recovery is somehow the enemy. It's like so Such fucking crazy making. Yeah. But, and then like this idea, I, I do think that in, in 
drug treatment, there's obviously like a kind of a less of an emphasis on the floor staff because while they are like your homies, kind of like <laughs> um, your controlling roommates, yeah. there is like less obviously kind of um, le- less care necessitated by like supervised bathroom visits or, you know, meal eating, which I think like, obviously that's so intimate. And I'm curious about like, what are some of the protocols in the, like, how do you plug the head back, back into the body? Essentially, like, I mean, was it like a 30 day program or like longer? Like, how did that, well, what did that could look be like? Longer. Yeah. So I worked at all level. That's a great question. Um, everybody's treatment was like, it wasn't standardized. Um, and I think because it's sometimes the medical component, like yeah. if we were working in inpatient, I was the most medically compromised. So the treatment again was like medically stabilized, like kind of by, by all means. And the medical staff was more important. Um, and I, I shouldn't say it like that. Not more important. It was a hierarchy. That was. The yeah. <laughs> um, well, and I, I mean, to, and to interrupt briefly in the case that Willis was not aware, isn't like eating disorders, the, 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 the mental illness that kills the most people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is like a mind blowing statistic. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And I, it, it's that for sure from the medical side, I think it's the isolation is like the number one killer yeah. um, in mental Ugh. illness. Um, and the, the stronger the illness gets, the more isolation um, it requires. Yeah. It requires. Yeah. Like you get more internal, more in the head, you know, in, internalized, less connected to people in your life, less willing to access support. Um, so, I worked both at inpatient, residential, and then partial levels of care. And so that's just a varying degree of um, like medical stability and Mm -hmm. medical interventions necessary. Um, And some people were, you know, went through their journey really, their struggles came at different points, I guess Mm -hmm. is the best way to say it. Some folks really did well with a lot of structure and containment. Some folks really struggled with that, but then thrived when they were able to be more, um, practicing real life stuff. Other folks really struggled once they got more into the real life practices. Yeah, that's definitely relatable and kind of parallels like addiction treatment. And I mean, I I think it's interesting that I think equine therapy is often used to like help drug addicts feel like, I don't know, we have I think it's like about asking for help and asking for needs to be met and being genuine, I think are a lot of the equine therapy kind of tenants in that specific instance. And I'm wondering, and obviously I think, you know, kind of touching on that, I don't think I would have gotten sober if I, if I didn't have my horse in my life at the time, like at least not sober when I did, you know, like just cause you want to, you want to be the person they think you are kind of yeah. <laughs> like, um, and I'm I'm wondering kind of what your experience is if you work ever in that um, that those parameters like with people in recovery, whether from food or addiction or trauma, and like why do you think it works so well? Absolutely great question. Um, I do work with that. I for a long time um, there's a treatment program local here, and they were really wonderful. They contracted with us in every week. They would bring a group of uh, it was a, a women's addiction recovery group, um, residential. So they were living there and we would get folks like at the very beginning, like from detox, uh, to on their way to like transitional living. And so it was a really rich group just in different, different levels of recovery. Um, and they came every week and seeing how they would 
change throughout the process and the relationship they built with the horses, you know, and some folks wouldn't, some folks wouldn't attach to a horse, which is about more about their really, you know, I got to see some of their relational tendencies. Wow. Some get really That's powerful. To. Yeah. Like without even knowing it, right. They're just doing them in relationship. And there's, I don't know if you've heard the saying, like what's been, I use the word ruptured. I think the actual quote says something about damaged or broken. I don't love that language, but what's been ruptured in relationship <laughs> can be, can only be healed in relationship. Yes. And I believe that is why some of the work with the horses is so powerful because it's a relationship. For sure. Yeah. That's um, fascinating. Uh-huh. I mean, and for you personally, like obviously, you know, I, I know that you've been kind of competing as an amateur and, and like that that's kind of been a parallel. How did you manage to kind of bring those parts of your life together? Like what, what did that entail and how was it inspired? So the equine assisted psychotherapy work. So bringing therapy horses into the therapy session session actually happened I think first. And then I got back to showing as a amateur, um, and how I started to be able to offer performance coaching for equestrians, again, fell in my lap. It was somebody I knew. She reached out to me and said, hey, my daughter's looking for, or, you know, we think it'd be really helpful or coach thinks it'd be helpful. Do you know any sports psychologists? And I was like, well, I don't. I will happily look into my, you know, reach out to my network. Um, And if you're comfortable, like I know how anxiety looks in the nervous system and the brain. Um, I've been in private practice a little bit now and um and I know the horse world so if you're open to it giving it a try you want to do it and she was like absolutely awesome so that's how that started and she you know word of mouth just the referrals um blended from there so the performance coaching really took off because the folks I were working with said they'd worked with other performance you know sports psychologists and um the interventions that they were being recommended didn't work with horses. You know, like you can't kick a soccer ball for, you can't ride the horse for five hours to practice that and get that muscle memory. So I don't think any of those coaches were recommending that just to be clear, but I think some (laughs) of the interventions that, that work in other sports or weren't working for the equestrians. And so um, I think it felt nice for them to have someone who understands it. Yeah, that's awesome. I can only, I mean, I, and it's interesting and and like full disclosure, this is a little bit selfish because recently I've been considering like after a very challenging winter where I lost a horse and then, uh, had a lot of like really bad experiences trying horses and now wanting to compete again, like having a lot of old stuff come up and be like, Oh my God, like, of course I was fucking disassociated with the entire, like my entire adolescence. Yeah. (laughs) Oops. (laughs) Yeah. And then you're like in your body now and you're like, oh shit, like this is all still here. Totally. Precisely. It's like, yeah. (laughs) And then explaining it to my therapist, who's like, I am here to support you, but mm, (laughs) I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. And I don't know what's coming up for you, but I, I think one of the reasons I feel really passionate about working with equestrian communities, I think there were a lot I think there are a lot of dysfunctional systems. I'm seeing it shift. I mean, it came from a really like patriarchal system, Mm -hmm. like emotions. There's no room for emotions. If you have them, they're bad, shut them down. Um, Right. Rub some dirt in it. If you're uncomfortable. Seriously. Uh, And sometimes it was that explicit and sometimes it wasn't Uh, a lot of 
body shaming and I just, yeah, I really want to be, do my part to shift it. Even if it's one person at a time to heal from messages that are old or if they're currently happening. That's, I mean, and, and I'm so excited also that like we can talk about, you know, that this, it feels like a kind of newer part of the, the conversation um, kind of globally around like healing somatic trauma and, or like, as you like rejoining the heart and the, and the gut and the head mm-hmm. in a society that's long been a, a bit cerebral. <laughs> um, For sure. Um, something you asked earlier when you were talking about the, um, like how do folks deal with reco- like eating disorder recovery um, mm. that's different than substance use is like, I get the, the feeling and the message that a lot of su- substance use or abuse recovery is, is abstinence, right? That's the way to mm-hmm. go. I don't know if that's true for everyone. Um, and I think with food, you can't do that. You can't yeah. be food. And so it's like the idea of, um, the idea of having to face the thing that scares you the most every day (laughs) forever, (laughs) like for eternity that, you know, that you're going to have to do this scary thing. It's like being, I mean, dropped in a tank with like your snakes or spiders or something. Right. And you just have to do that six times a day. Like that would, I mean, it makes me sweat even just thinking about that. Um, Why I bring it up now, I think it ties into what you were saying what's so unique about the horses is it's so body-based that like mm. when you are riding you don't or in in relationship with horses like you don't get to disconnect from your body you're being forced to feel all the things all the time <laughs> your horse might be like uh hello like where's my pa- where's my partner in this for sure and that's also been it's been like an interesting not struggle, but like observation to be like, Oh fuck. Like the, like, while I do think it saved my life, it's been kind of bizarre observing how checked out, you know, it's possible to be while kind of like doing this thing that requires kind of pretty full embodiment and presence. Right. And it's like, fuck, like, okay. So now how to kind of tie the two together in terms of like responding to the needs of the nervous system, which can be like, freaking out and also like responding to me this is a situation right because it's you can't just like get off because then it's like untrained you know like when I say get off I mean literally dismount <laughs> you're untraining your horse you yeah. know like, you know I think there's like there's so many unique kind of and specific um, challenges in the in the, the sport psychology aspect that kind of speak directly to a lot of the stuff that is activated in or by trauma and addiction, whatever that looks like, right? It's like yeah. such a ball of yarn. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I do wonder kind of what are the, because like, you know, in being in a culture that is kind of um, actively bent on disassociation a lot of the time, like I have a little beautiful, brightly colored disassociation machine called an iPhone that's like with me 24 <laughs> <laughs> and you know and is giving me a lot of messages especially you know kind of going back to the the food and body stuff about um like diet culture that i think are pretty dangerous and you know while the culture i think is slowly changing it's still really scary to kind of be like fuck like what how does one survive in one's body 
<laughs> when that's the case, you know? Fabulous question. Uh, like, now we need the answers, Brianna. Yeah, I, I got <laughs> Up a few. To you. I got a few. Uh, they're, they're sort of like a pra- they're practices. So um, I think it's about getting connected to your body and feeling what it feels like when you hear these messages or you see these messages. Like, mm-hmm. we're not immune. It's everywhere. It's on a billboard. I remember that being in treatment. Like, sure, we wouldn't have certain mag. I don't even know if we had any magazines because we couldn't control what was serious in there. Um, but also I would talk to my clients or patients about like, what are you going to do when you're driving down the road and you see a, an advertisement, you know, billboard or whatever, like that's, you're just going to lose it. Like all the hard work you've done over a message. Um, I do think we are bombarded by it. We're bombarded by it. Like in the media, we're bombarded by it, by people we're in relationship with no matter how healthy they are because they're not immune so I think when you're connected to your body and you can anchor into that and someone says something or you read something or you hear something that doesn't land well for you or makes you feel a little ick listen to that and my recommendation would be like if there's safety in the relationship if it's someone personal to say like hey, I'm working really hard on talking nicer to myself or not shaming my body or not judging food. Um, I'm going to ask that we don't do that in our relationship or here's how it impacts me. When, when you say that, not even asking them to change, but just bringing more awareness. The more we can bring what's in the unconscious into the conscious, then we have access to change it. So I also think that's why equine assisted interventions work because no, sometimes you don't even gonna, know what's there yeah like I'm, I'm I'm really curious actually to kind of like draw that out a little bit in terms of for do you have any examples or can you think of kind of um times when you watch the conscious the unconscious become conscious through this relational practice because again like I don't know people are fucking complicated mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah, human yeah. beings challenging <laughs> animals I feel like it's so much, it's very healthy to kind of have um, like this mirror, right? That is a herd animal that's like, if I'm not trustworthy, they are not fucking with me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, and I'm, I'm curious as to kind of how, like how, how horses have been good teachers to you and to your patients or clients in these um, settings. Yeah, I think the act of being in relationship or near horses has its own regulation for the nervous system, but heart math is doing a lot of research around how I think they're calling it central coherence or the heart coherence that the horse's bigger heart, they beats um, ours will match theirs. And then we will take like, it will lower our heart rate. Um, That's a real thing that our, our heartbeats actually start to sink. Yes. That's so cool. (laughs) The research doesn't talk about is I wonder if the opposite is also true. But for now, the research is saying, right, it will sink. um, And horses are often more regulated because they live in that um, present but alert state because they are prey. So they're always sort of assessing the situation, but they're not on high alert. Um, And so they breathe bigger. We take bigger breaths just from that, our hearts matching them a lot of times. So there, like, there is that nervous regulation, um, nervous system regulation. 
But I really think that it's the art of the facilitation. Um, maybe you can speak to it because you, you've mentioned a couple of times, like your horse got you through it. And it sounds like maybe you were doing some of your own facilitation no, for, sure. <laughs> for yourself. Um, so I think it can be therapeutic to stand and be near horses. I think the, the therapy and the making the unconscious conscious really comes with um, a facilitator. That's my personal Belief. I mean, as a facilitator, can you talk about like what what that what you feel like that role is for you and how you kind of I don't know, like how you help aid that dance. Right. Because I think that like especially with people who don't necessarily have experience in equine therapy or with horses, period, it would be like, yeah, what what are, the, what what's going on? Yeah. I even get clients who are open to it. Be like, I don't what I don't understand. Like what? Yeah. What is this all about? Um, but they're willing, they're willing to do something different. They're willing to be, um, I think experiential. They want that feedback in the moment. And so they want to see, so like, Oh, as a facilitator, I'm really using the client's experience and their story of what they're talking about. So, um, I'm going to try and do it, but also like maintain HIPAA, you know, if you're talking about a relationship (laughs) and you're watching two horses or a herd of horses, it could be a family dynamic, like who's, like, what are the dynamics you see happening? And mm. clients will start to describe their inner world to you. They don't need That's to know me. anything about horses. They'll say, like, this one's left out or this one's the leader. This one's a bully. Um, they don't like this one. And it happens in seconds because we're walking around doing that all the time with people, too. So we're just projecting that. Totally. <laughs> Yeah. And then because horses move, they're not stagnant. The story changes. So as the story changes, they're giving feedback. That's more of a, I would call it like a passive session, right? Like we're observing. Then there Mm -hmm. are other sessions where, um, I just did this the other day where I just asked somebody to go in and experience and be with however they wanted to. It could involve touch, no touch, being near. They could choose wherever they wanted to be. Uh, Two different animals horses um it's just like people they have different temperaments different preferences all sorts of things and just spend I don't know a few minutes with each one seeing what each one was like and which one they were drawn to and then we processed why and which one felt more um difficult and which one felt more um like accepting wow that's awesome and and kind of through that work like what conclusions are your, are are your clients drawing like about this process or about their own relationships? Like is your work as a facilitator to kind of be like repeating back to them what they're telling you and then being like, does that map with your own experience or like what, what, how does your training kind of link this practice with a kind of broader therapeutic lens? Yeah. Thank you for that. Cause I, I forget that um, not <laughs> steeped in it like I am. Um, so yes, it's all, it's always drawing parallels back to when, where else do you experience this and what would it be like to, um, for this particular situation, it was all about like, what's your preference between mm-hmm. these two horses? And is that okay? That it's just your preference, that it doesn't have to be anything about them that you get to have needs and have wants and have a preference over which relationship you prefer to be in. That's awesome. Cause I yeah, do think again, like we're, we're so kind of like a lot, a, a lot of times I know that when people are like, how do you feel about that? I'm like, I think I feel. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, it's like, do you know what's actually happening in your body in this moment? There's a, there is a, 
vignette that I think is relevant to share. You can always cut it out if it's not. But no, it was, we love it. Long form podcast, Brie, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Um, I was working with this um, gal who was um, she had an eating disorder and had a history of drug addiction and was, I think, actively using heroin again. And um, she came and did some equine sessions and I shit you not one time she came, there was, we've been talking about treatment, higher level of care. Um, she's ambivalent. Um, and this horse, we just plopped down next to it. It was a mini and, and her, her foot looked like it was like stuck in or on the fence and we spent the whole session just like trying to help her talking about how much we could help her how much the mini needed to help herself needed to be willing to accept help the whole thing for the whole whole session I mean it was so powerful what an incredible helper (laughs) yeah right just by being her I don't I don't even really know what was I can't set it up. I can't make them do anything. They did it. Client leaves the property when it's the end of session. Again, I shit you not. The horse just bing, picks up its foot all by herself <laughs> and just marches right along and goes back to doing normal horse things. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I think I'm done. But it was <laughs> incredible. But it was really, you know, a different client, different session, different stuff they're working on could have had a different interpretation of that experience, but, um, no, I for sure. I mean, that's with me for sure. I mean, and it, it does, I do think that there is obviously they're, they're sentient beings. And I wonder like for you, um, I'm presently in the middle of undergoing like a consent educator training, which is, has been really exciting and fascinating. And, you know, it, it's kind of, I'm, as I'm sure you relate, like, as you kind of integrate new concepts about how, the brain and relationships work. Um, like everything's kind of being put through this lens of, of consent. And, um, you know, a lot of it in terms of animal relationships is very much about like, how do we, like, how do I, how does that a, a relationship that works both ways in terms of like, um, what, what am I consenting to in terms of, you know, personal space or like certain behaviors? And then also like, am I asking you to do something and you're willingly kind of consenting or am I uh, making demands that you can't refuse because you're a fucking horse? (laughs) And I, yeah. And I wonder like in that, in, in, in that frame, um, how, like what makes a good therapy horse or equine assisted therapy horse and how, you navigate those relationships because obviously you have personal relationships with your team, your team of horses. Um, And what's, yeah. What does that look like? Like how do you kind of introduce that as a, as a concept for them, like figure out who's going to be good at it or Mm -hmm. like, what's that look like in terms of your personal relationship with these animals? It's definitely a relationship that I have with my co-facilitators just like it would be if they were two-legged instead of four-legged and it takes time I have for sure worked with other herds and it has been effective and fruitful and clients were beneficial I know that some sessions have been really deepened because of how much I know and trust my my 
therapy horses. Um, yeah. What makes a good therapy horse, um, I think, is is knowing them, having that relationship. Short of having a horse that is um, really stuck in fight mode, which is survival, mm-hmm. fight or flight. Um, flight is fine because they're you know they're they're moving away from if they are scared and they are actively um, aggressive and I use that word really really neutrally not pejoratively Mm -hmm. like if they're coming towards with their teeth open you know and they are uh, unable to get out of that that's really the only thing that makes me not think they're a good therapy hurt Awesome. And how yeah. did you kind of like, like, I'm, I'm very curious as to like the logistics. How does this like, do you, are, do you own every, everybody <laughs> or like, <laughs> is this like a, a facility that you have a relationship with as a therapist or kind of how does that start? Because it seems like, you know, a kind of a big jump and I'm sure for your clients also to be like, look, we're in this indoor room together, one person to one person. And actually we're going to take this out of the room and we're going to an outdoor space filled with animals. <laughs> yeah. It's wild. <laughs> you know, that it's you wild. may or may not own. Like, how does that, how does like logistically, what does that look like? I'm, I'm super fascinated by like the kind of the, yeah, the weirdly administrative part of your job. Yeah. Um, it, so I've worked again, a couple of different places where I'm at currently, um, so, okay. So I've worked where my horses have been part of a much larger therapy herd. Um, and I, I was not, pro- I'll call it providing for them. They weren't on the payroll. Um, <laughs> mine, mine were on my payroll, but the others were not. Um, and let's see, I don't, I don't know how important that is. So yes, I have a few horses that are in my herd and then on the property where we are, um, there are other horses and, and they will go out in a bigger herd. So what I will usually tell clients are there are some horses we can do more with, um, but they're all available for us for, in observation or in choice activities. And some horses volunteer, some horses want to be like, you'll see them kind of come to the fence and like check out what's happening. And then there are some, <laughs> and even mine sometimes like they're like not into like, not, not today, friend. <laughs> yeah, not today. Like whether they had a big day or the weather. I mean, there could be all sorts of external things. Um, and we talk a lot about giving the animals choice to participate, which uh, for any of us, it's important. For trauma, it's super powerful. So even just that conversation of like, what does that look like to watch something, like listen to what their body's telling them that like this is too much and they have choice. So during the work, I usually use pretty open spaces. I don't use a lot of um, like control uh, manipulatives is the word that's coming to mind. Again, mm-hmm. using pretty neutrally, not pejoratively, but like. No, but I mean, the things that would necessitate to like manipulate the situation into kind of creating something that would be less than entirely organic. Yeah. So like, I mean, I still will use harnesses, but there's still choice in that, right? A horse has a choice whether they're going to move their feet or not, come with. And then we talk about, does it feel like cooperation? Does it feel like choice or does it, does it not? Um, so the logistics that work the best for me and the most integrated practice, um, is having an office space where I meet folks regularly on the farm property. So oh, cool. that they are already oriented to 
the space, the smells, the sounds. Um, they're usually, they're driving. We don't have to logistically have a nightmare when it's like, well, yeah, the second location, like, do we go in your car? There's yeah, a drive right, right. time. Now it's like you're already used to coming at this time. And it's a easier transition to be like, hey, there's this thing that you we could, could do. do. <laughs> Are you open to it? And I would say, I can't think of a time where someone was like, no, I'm not open to it. <laughs> they did find you after all. You're like on a farm. On a They're farm. Like, right. Like, yeah. are you okay with it? Right. It does bring up some, some privilege and some able, you know, some stuff around being able-bodied and um, doing some adaptations, if not. Um, I mean, and is that also as part of your practice is working with uh, maybe differently abled people? Just because I know that like, for instance, here, there's a lot of, um, both people who are either wheelchair bound or uh, have severe autism that come to to work with horses at my barn, and it's awesome to kind of watch that. That obviously it's a slightly different facilitation than uh, trauma or you know even just MFT stuff, but it's yeah. still like wow, how how cool to kind of have yeah. you know collaborate equine collaborators. <laughs> yeah, I'm not set up for that. I am connected with with places that are and happy to give referrals. Um, I will say with, with trauma though, um, and eating disorders, like I'm, I'm assessing and, and being on, you know, a farm does lead some information to like how embodied somebody is. Are they, can they navigate the different terrain? Um, so the assessment is kind of happening beautifully and organically. That's, I mean, it also sounds like, kind of um you know for instance we wouldn't necessarily like bring a horse to a new location and expect them to behave exactly as they would in their home turf and like it's it's pretty cool that you kind of um you use the same (laughs) philosophy for humans yeah it's like they're in a new place (laughs) we have to like we don't want a second location because it'll complicate things they have to be habituated into coming to a certain place and like and and you know navigating a new dynamic and like and like how kind of granular the human experience can be because I think a lot of times we're just kind of plopped into new environments and outside of like kind of highly sensitive person diagnosis just expected to fucking like deal (laughs) yeah yeah and not have any issues and be able to do it just fine like I I think that's a I think that's a pretty lofty expectation when you think about it like the the brain has more four four main threats and the one of them is the unknown. And so going to a new place it's is like novelty, <laughs> anything novel, right? Some people are pretty high novelty seeking, so they are okay with it and they go towards novelty. Like my horse. Like your horse. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, what is that? Yeah. Like, I don't, you like don't need to know. <laughs> yeah. Good. We're, we're good. Um, <laughs> but that's rad. I, I really appreciate how kind of like, how on equal footing your your kind of therapist team of equines and your human um, cad of yeah. of clients. <laughs> <I heard. laughs> yes, your human herd um, are are um, I don't know like considered. Um, and I'm 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 curious as to kind of like how this how do you feel like this work translates into your your life as you know you talked about many roles in terms of like being a boss and a mom and a partner and um and what that 
what these relationships with, you know, the four-legged of the four-legged variety are teaching you in, in those relationships. Although I assume in a lot of ways it's kind of inextricable, right? Like, cause yeah. it's been a <laughs> common thread. Long. I, I do think the, it, it reminds me to be in the present always when I'm with them. I think that's why I like spending time with them. I'm reminded, um, humbled a lot of times, uh, to, to check in with myself, how am I feeling? What is going on? And I don't always mean feeling like from an emotional standpoint, I think even just like what sensations are going on. Mm -hmm. If I've had a really busy day, week, month, like it, when I slow down, sometimes I feel like a, like a buzzing inside and like, I just need to be, um, and I, and being around the horses really helped me with that. Um, did I answer the question <laughs> no totally I mean it's, I think also again kind of re re-entering one's own body is, can be such a like I mean even on a daily basis of going kind of from like in the head to again like in the body is, is such a wild experience and I talk and, about it like okay this is where the answers are they're in the body but like sometimes being in the body is a, is a overwhelming intense experience. Like there's a reason people disconnect from their bodies for, I mean, all sorts of reasons, trauma, overwhelm. No, I was agree. Overwhelm was coming to mind. So intense and no one taught us how to navigate that intensity or the way they did teach us doesn't work for us. And so you're left to sort of figure it out. And like the brain is really smart. It's kind of like, okay, this is too much. We're just going to not do it. Yeah. Just cut it off. (laughs) Right. Like it's too much. Like this feeling actually the brain is a problem solving machine and it's really number one goal job is to keep you alive. And so if the perception is like these feelings are going to swallow me whole, this sensation is going to swallow me whole, or this trauma, nearly too much to bear. Bit, yeah, too much to bear. Uh, yeah, your brain's going to be like, guess what? I got you. We're just not going to go there. We're not going to climb down the ladder and do that. So, I do really think while I'm saying in the body, in the body, like there is some awareness, and it is a practice of being able to tolerate those sensations and that experience. Um, yeah. And to learn how to also, cause I finding that like, I don't know when I started on this kind of current therapeutic journey, it was like, like skipping stones. It was like, I like idea, 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 like not at all in a place of being able to kind of have access to, to listening to the body and, or when I did have access, it was impossible to modulate. Like it was like a 10 or a zero. There was nothing in between. Okay. And and so to kind of, I'm curious because my own therapist talks about like riding a wave yeah. and being able to kind of like enjoy the ride. And I, that is as, especially, I think as an addict, <laughs> not my experience, <laughs> um, which is like intensity or overwhelm, uh, like intensity or, or numbness. Like those are the kind of two zones. And now it's like learning how to kind of surf in between. And this is a long fucking, like this is, you know, 17 years sober and yeah. nine years if this therapy, it's like long. Right. Wow. So I'm very curious with this language, like how your what your experience of feeling feelings in the body, in the present is not necessarily this present, but like, what's the metaphor that you would use to kind of talk about what it feels like to have feelings? Sorry, that's a crazy question. (laughs) 
Uh, what's your experience of emotions? What's my experience? Yeah, that's like a great, great question. What's my experience of emotion? Um, I do like the ride it out, right? Kind of the ride it out. Um, and ride the wave and reminding that like, I don't know where I read this, but like physiologically, um, between like the, the, the chemicals and the hormones that are released with, with different emotions, like they literally only last in your body about 90 seconds. What keeps it going is the meaning we put on it, mm. how we think about it, how we should ourselves into doing something or not, you know, how it's good, bad, or the judgment of it. Mm. Um, and the meta feelings, I think. Like, I have fear about this feeling, so therefore now I'm, like, taking right, now it I'm on a ride. Right, now I'm scared of it. Now it's prolonged, <laughs> and now I'm thinking about it, and then it's alive in your body for for longer. Um, I really believe – my belief around emotions is that they serve a purpose. And if they didn't, they would have evolved out by now. So they are here to tell you something. Like, what is it? What are they trying to tell you? And – what do we need to do so that you can listen to it? Mm. And that, that's that could beautiful. Be a, a process for years. Some emotions we're a little more willing to listen to. Some are a little scarier. Um, some feel more familiar. Some feel more foreign. But I do really come from it from compassion. Like it's here. If it keeps coming up, it just hasn't been heard enough yet. Yeah, I think that there's especially, like, among kind of habitual disassociators who are often addicts or people who have experienced uh, trauma, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's this idea that, like, if I ignore it, it'll go away. Mm-hmm. When in reality, of course, like, if I ignore it, it gets louder because it's trying to tell me something. And if I require a level of, like, 12 out of 10 in order to be for it to be heard, like, that's it, – it's making my my – internal organization work that much harder to kind of let me know that something has to change essentially. And it might, the change might just be like, I hear you. Yeah. yeah like you know? I hear you. I not right now. I know you're there. I, I need to, you know, I need some time before I can come back. And even that will, I think relieve some pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And again, of, like, yeah, no, continue. I was going to say, I have a lot of metaphors. One that seems to work well, um, is like the smoke smoke alarm, right? Some people mm. have really sensitive smoke alarms where like there could be a crumb in the toaster and it's like fire <laughs> in the house. And you're like, nope. Like, so it's a little sensitive, right? So it's, it's uh, the, you've talked about the volume earlier. It might be the volume's really high or it's like mm-hmm. sensitivity is high. Um, the other thing is like when the batteries get low, like they start chirping at you. And if you don't do anything about it, eventually the chirping gets faster and louder and more intense until you have no choice but at 3am to churn and to like right the least opportune time to deal with it yeah to hit it with a broom and you know make it stop (laughs) make it stop in the most adult way possible obviously um and I mean and I'm curious as to like because I, I, I respect that you, it seems like you're actively using these tools, you know, like in your work, obviously, because that is the work, but also in your relationship and you've been, you know, in a, in a relationship and marriage for quite some time. And I'm curious as to how that relationship has kind of changed. Cause it's again, like a relational podcast, but how that relationship has changed you, like, what have you learned from, you know, being a partner with this person and, and like, 
I don't know what what is what's the secret? <laughs> Just kidding. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know if I have it, but I do know it's working for us for the most part. Um, I mean, I think I had done a lot of relational work along the way. I had been in um, like two pretty long term monogamous relationships, and then after that, went sort of binge dating for a while. <laughs> I, um, you know, I hadn't dated a lot. And so when those relationships ended, I was like, you know, let's I see what this to, is like. Well, yeah. Like <laughs> I need to figure out what I like and what I don't like. Cause I don't even know how to describe it. So it's like, I didn't, I think I knew myself, but I didn't know. I didn't really know myself. Mm. Um, I think even my therapist at the time had been like, why don't you just do this exercise? Like, I want you to sign up for an online dating. And I was like, what? And she was like, just do, just fill out the questions. Cause I was, again, I was like, I don't even know where to begin. So that was mm-hmm. it. And once I had signed up, once I'd done that, I was like, well, I should probably check it out. Right. Like I should probably <laughs> do, I should probably experience it. This right? could be like fun. <laughs> it could be fun. And it was really fun. Um, what I think it did too, was really help me hone in on, what's important to me, what I like, what I don't like, um, both on like attraction, like sex, sexually, uh, relationally communication. It really helped me, helped me be okay with, with all of that. Um, I usually paired my dates with like something else I wanted to do. So it wasn't a total bust if, if the relational <laughs> part wasn't, um, it's like positive but, reinforcement. Totally. I was like, Oh, there's this like new restaurant. I want to try it. Let's like, let's meet there. So I appreciate that. I think it made my experience not all about the relationship. Yeah. Um, I bring this up because I think prior to meeting this partner, I'd been a little fixated on the outcome of stuff rather than mm-hmm. the experience or the journey as most people talk about. Um, as if like, you know, like, um, yeah, I was just, I was more concerned on like the, either like the label or what it, what it meant or like Mm. being engaged to be married meant they were committed when like I was missing if they were actually acting like they were a committed partner or not. Yeah. Or I do also think that like, you know, if one's goals are, marriage and family and especially for for like women to have kids that like there is a certain amount of box ticking that kind of is socially kind of required if you're like I you know it's it can be very confusing like I was talking to a friend last week and she's like she's single she's in her late 30s and she's awesome but she's like I kind of have like a tiktok motherfucker like yeah you yeah. know, and that, and that being like a real thing that is, it's difficult to extricate from, from the journey of like, do I actually enjoy spending time with this person? <laughs> you know? Right. Right. Yes. And certainly not to imply that that is everybody's goal, but for me, it, it was, or at least I thought it was, but what it, actually it was the meaning I was placing on it. Like hmm. if these things are happening, it will be a good relationship. And it's like, at some point I just threw that out the window and was like, how do I want to show up as a partner? How is my partner showing up? Are we in a good relationship? And the rest will either happen or not not happen. Um, so I think that that was one thing that was cool. So my mindset shift and focusing on like what was happening 
How did you manage that shift? Like, was it conscious or was it like, you're like, fuck it. I'm going to see if I actually enjoy spending time with people or like if we have a good, the possibility of a good relationship with like shared values and like healthy communication, like how did you kind of go from one side of that line to the other? I was in therapy. So that always helps. Love it. (laughs) Love, Love therapy. Um, I think all the things you mentioned were a factor in it. I think I was knowing myself. I was realizing what was happening when people would say like, so when are you going to do the next, whatever the next step was, move in mm-hmm. together, traditional things, like move in together, get engaged. And I was like, I just felt shitty. Mm-hmm. And it would usually create some, right. I, I then bring it to my partner being like, well, are we even, do like in this, you know, and I realized every time I got spun out about it, it created a rift in my relationship. So I had to make a conscious choice to be like, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm going to change how I respond to these people. I'm going to change how I respond. I mean, sure. I still had some feelings about it, but I changed my, what I did with them. Mm. Um, and I think he is a, demonstrated that he was committed in a lot of ways that he was open to feedback, open to talking about things, open to being the partner that I, that I wanted and needed. That's Um, awesome. Yeah. And I think one of the things that keeps us in a good relationship is we continue to talk about things. And I try really hard not to um, compare how or what we are now to a different time because the, the, Things going on in our lives are so different now than they were, you know, before. Of course. I mean, I also think that there's like, I recently read that um, book by the Gottmans, yeah. the Doctors Gottman, <laughs> about, which is like, listeners, this is perhaps the worst title for a book. It's like the five love secrets to love or something stupid but it's actually a very instructional <laughs> it's a very good instructive <laughs> yeah. instructive practice of like kind of activities or like things to consider in your relationship which is like and one of them was like am I continuously curious about my partner because like mm. when you first start dating you're like constantly like you're like wow what is this person's inner world like and then after a certain point all of your oh, yeah. questions and you have become like tons like, of oxytocin pumping through your yeah. brain and your body Fasc- and you're, you're like fascinated like, by them. yeah like everything's good everything's amazing well maybe not everything but like right oxytocin does that it helps to bond people totally and you know that there's a lot of kind of like novelty as we've mentioned novelty and curiosity about one another and then that like one, especially think after the stage of moving in together and certainly after parenthood, I assume like a lot of the questions become logistical. Like, did you get the groceries and <laughs> did you take the dog out mm-hmm. as opposed to like, what is your inner landscape like? Like what, what yeah. movie do you feel like most inspired by throughout your childhood? Like all this kind of, you know, mm-hmm. the, the things that are wondering about their own internal evolution, even though you're in a long-term relationship. And it was very useful to kind of be like, Oh man, like, am I still, am I still considering like my partner as a, a uniquely evolving creature? That's not just like my, uh, like a, my old shoes or something. <laughs> right. Like this old familiar thing that I feel really comfortable in. I think it is easy because there's so much new with parenting and so much unknown. Uh, oh, that's cool. I mean, there's tons of information and knowledge, but then there's the actual 
experience. Can you tell I'm an experiential therapist? Because I just <laughs> coming back to like, what's the experience Love. like? Um, but I like how you like balance it with like, and there's been research <laughs> about XYZ that's very specific. I'm like, yeah, this is perfect. Brianna, yeah, perfect. Okay. Yes. I'm very grateful to have some colleagues who are very academic. And so I just, <laughs> they like to, you know, they'll read all the things and they'll be like, if you're only going to read one or two, these are the two I recommend. I'm like, great. So helpful. Perfect. Thank you. Cliff notes. <laughs> um, but I think with yeah, like old and comfortable and familiar is, is what releases some dopamine when there's so much new and unknown, um, and potential overwhelm. So I think it is easy, but it still requires effort and, um, intentionality and investment, which we are getting, we are getting better at. And for me, separating my relationship with my partner as like mom and, partner right like how I want to be talked to is well always different different right like don't use dad voice when you're trying to be like intimate and romantic like that's it it's confused it doesn't work it's confusing (laughs) I'm a woman not just a mother thank you yeah and he's like I know I just like I just am like dead (laughs) he's just like no he's like I love like I love you like I feel so much closer to you I'm like yeah yeah yeah. but what actually happens when you talk to me in kid voice is you put me in mom brain instead of like sensual sexual relational being well I guess always relational but right like not that adult adult (laughs) thank you and sometimes it's really nice just to have adult conversation so when we go on our dates or we have some time we're getting better at putting like boundaries and moratoriums on like okay we can talk about the baby until this point in the night <laughs> or like for the car ride and after the car ride no more no more baby yeah, no more baby <laughs> only she still exists we know she's fine we love her we all know how much we love her we don't need to talk about it anymore we need to talk about all the no. other stuff that we don't have time to talk about <laughs> Seriously. I mean, but that's like, I think a very useful, because I do know that there's a bunch of, you know, new or soon to be parents listening. And it's, I think it's a really important note because it's so easy. I mean, obviously even evolutionary to like become obsessed with your baby. Yeah. Right. It's like, why keep them alive? (laughs) And they're so dependent, right? Most other species come out and they like, don't need their parents that much. They're not just like little lumps. 18 years. <laughs> 18 years of lump. 18 um, years of lump. <laughs> are you excited? Um, yeah. And I mean, you're like, yeah. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's going okay right now. <laughs> still very cute. Um, and I do wonder, like, one of the kind of anchor questions on the show is um, in 12-step recovery, there's this idea of having a sex, sex ideal of like who we want to show up as in our sexual or romantic relationships or partnerships. And I'm curious is if to you have any like sex ideals that you're growing towards? I think in my adult, well, not I think, I know in my adult life <laughs> and even I would say in most recent years, like really trying to figure that out. I think the messages I had about like sex and sexuality and being a sexual being um, came from like media and peers, right? When I was adolescent, like I, I've been going back and thinking about like, where are my messages and what are they? And like, actually, um, I don't think I had many as a kid, which is, is, problematic in and of itself you know Mm -hmm. I I think not that sexuality needs to be introduced as a kid if it's not 
relevant, but just even how it was talked about and a comfortability of talking about it. And so I think coming into my adult adulthood realizing like, who do I want to be? I guess the long, the, the long and short of it is like, I'm still trying to figure that out. And it's taking a pretty deep dive of how to become who I want to be and um, sifting through the messages that were unhelpful uh, and that don't fit and work for me. Mm. Uh, but some of it was like overt about having some really impactful things that were said to me negatively impactful uh, from partners that, I'm even allow you to say things like this to another human, but people do. And letting those go. Um, but yeah, I have some, ho- I have some serious holes as my identity as a sexual being. But that's, I mean, I think even to know that and to be like, wait, that's something I want to work on intentionally changing in a direction that I feel like, especially like to be a girl mom is yeah. really to be like, wow, like what, what do I feel like I was missing and what do I wish I had instead? And, and also I do think that there is like, especially cause I, I think we're, we're a similar age. I don't I forget, but, um, but like there was a lot of craziness in the messaging that has radically changed since we were teenagers. And like, I feel like the kids even in their twenties, but like adolescents coming up now have a very different experience of like what information, what media, uh, what role models they have, especially as women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm so impressed and excited about it, but I'm also just like, man, like I'm, I, I feel like I have so much to unlearn. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly with that. Like it is one of the benefits to, I mean, media, but social media, like the access that there is, is like so, I mean, so much two, two sides of the same coin, Mm. but like, I think about my, my parents were really, um, open. Um, and I think they did the best they can. I'm certainly not like, certainly not blaming them, but there are some things about like how I want to be able to talk to my daughter about attraction and sex and sexuality and relationships that I think, I think there were some missed opportunities for sure. And whether that came from (laughs) their own discomfort, um, like there are two things specifically that two experiences that kind of roll around in my brain, um, that came from my ignorance and my, you know, being a young kid and, I think I maybe put them on the spot and they didn't know how to answer. Fair. Mm-hmm. They're not supposed to. But what the, what was missed was this opportunity to be like, you know, the other day when you asked me about this, like I didn't really know how to answer that and I thought mm-hmm. about it. So um, let's, Circle let's back. talk about it. Yeah, that sort of, I, I call it like repair or um, like coming back around to talk about it. Like we never run out of opportunities to do that. I don't care how long it is. Um, one of them was like, so it's probably time we have the sex talk. And I was like, school already did it. I remember that was my answer. Like, you don't, all done. Probably because I yeah. was uncomfortable. Totally. <laughs> and my guess is they were uncomfortable. And then it was like never talked about again. And I was like, ever. Oh, ever. <laughs> you're like, okay, good. good thing that's done. But then in retrospect, you're like, man, I wish I had like maybe a slightly different Oh my God. And what access school, point. So many. And what school gave us versus was like, what? Probably 10 minutes of like... <laughs> sex ed 
Um, by people who are entirely unqualified to talk about these things. Entirely. Like, so, oh my God. I feel so bad for them actually, because I was like, no one trained you. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was like what? part of like gym class. Like, how does that work? Everybody has a body. Everybody has <laughs> a body. The, Sometimes this bodies is the have only sex. premise. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> bodies have sex and um, that's it. So I was like, okay, I get it. I, I know everything I need to know. And um so I, I think I am really leaning into that. Like, if I'm uncomfortable, that's okay. I need to figure out what I'm uncomfortable about. And I, I even would want to name that. Granted, she's going to be with what is available. I'm sure she's going to be teaching me some things. But I hope there's an openness to be able to talk about it. You can always point, point her towards sober sex <laughs> conversations. Yeah, like what we talked about. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Equine yeah. therapy. Embodiment. Well, not just us, just like, look, other people are having this conversation and... And I mean, I mean, I, and I, I do also think that even what you were saying, like, if I do feel uncomfortable to be able to kind of like discern what I'm uncomfortable about, name that discomfort and then kind of seek, you know, whatever I need to, to repair that or, or to investigate it further, whatever. But like the fact that you have this tool set as an adult, I think is already like an evolution, which I'm really excited about, you know, it's like, what, what a thing to be able to offer your kid in any circumstance, you know? Yeah. And I'm using it in my own relationship of like, okay, well I could say I'm uncomfortable. Uh, and this is coming up for us like in our more like physically intimate relationship. Like I could say I'm uncomfortable and potentially get what I need. And also like, you know, I'm not going to be a dick about it and I'm going to be rude, but like I might hurt his feelings. But like a hundred percent of the time when I've, when I've been authentic, it's always led to more connection and more pleasure. Uh, I would say that emotionally too. For um, sure. Or I think what I used to do is just be like, no, this is just how it is. And like, it yeah, like totally. my needs don't matter or this is, it's supposed to be like, this is supposed to work. So like, I must be broken. <laughs> I must be broken. Uh, right. I'm females are objectified or were, are objectified so like unlearning that for actually both of us is is a big part yeah no I've definitely I think there's actually like a lot of grief that I think comes up around that idea of like oh man like to have compassion for you know an adult a younger self of like (laughs) I'm so sorry that you thought that like your pleasure didn't matter or that this is just how it is or that you had no other options you know like it's it's tragic and I'm excited that like we via having these conversations we can give you know hopefully like the next generation of like sexual beings coming up a a different experience like not saying that they're all listening to this podcast but like as a global conversation oh yeah absolutely I I think there is I think there's hope yes amen so to kind of wrap up the show in a delightful <laughs> if I do say so myself why we descend into the lightning round um which is just kind of like answer off the cuff don't think too hard uh what is your favorite pre-show ritual for your competitive career oh. <laughs> um right don't think too hard uh I use sour patch kids <laughs> Um, yeah Mm -hmm. if I had to do that uh sour patch kids um be cut for a couple reasons they are good for um anxiety management um they release 
So some of it's, I think, psychosomatic. Some of it is very real. Uh, and some of it's distraction. So gets me in my sensory body because I'm tasting and I'm having a whole sensory experience in my mouth. Uh, it makes your mouth salivate, which uh, when you're anxious, you produce less saliva because because you're running you're trying to survive and basically that's not a necessary function of survival saliva so it stops doing it so it's it's a brain hack and then um yeah i'm distracted a little bit so that is one of my hacks and love that i'm gonna use that <laughs> absolutely sweet tarts are also uh good it doesn't have to be a sour patch kid but find your favorite um i like that they're a little text texturally they're pleasant for me too um and I have a shirt show shirt that has a collar that I I've become a little superstitious of. So I call it my party shirt. So I wear it for my important classes. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's very useful for me actually, especially because I was recently learning about um, polybagel theory uh-huh. and I do appreciate the salivation yeah. uh, sensation. That's really cool. Um, what, because speaking of party shirts, what is your favorite way to get pumped up? <laughs> Uh, music helps me. Um, and it depends. Like I don't have a certain song. It depends on the mood and what I need, but that will help me get pumped up. Um, and I really like spending some time with my horse before I go. And I have a little, we have a little, like, I just spend time with her. Like we're in this, we got this, we're together. Um, and that gets me pretty jazzed. And her too, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, she's a she's a performer. She likes it. <laughs> awesome. What's your favorite way to ground or calm down if that kind of is necessary? If you're feeling a little anxious or wound up, uh, take a deep breath. I did it even as you said it. And um, specifically, if I'm if I am horse side or horseback, uh, I use um, like a technique of finding five things I see going running through your senses so the sour patch kid actually comes into play here too like what am I tasting um but when I'm on horseback I try and feel like their ribs going in and out and breathing and matching them um, or feeling the texture of the hair and the fur that way um, that's really atten- cool yeah paying attention to the hoofbeat or like any other like if there's you know breathing through their nose making any other noises like that because I for me that helps me feel get in my body. I'm not thinking, I'm just sensing and I'm doing it relationally. Awesome. That's really helpful. And I mean, for those listeners who might not have a horse nearby, perhaps you have a dog or a cat that you'd like to, to, um, somatically match. (laughs) Exactly. You could also go outside and listen to like the trees blowing or feel the sun or the wind, um, or the cool air, whatever it is. So yes, you, you don't have to do it relationally. Uh, if you do have an animal and they're just like, I don't know, like a cat or dog who's like sunbathing, just take a moment to notice like they have no judgment. If they're uncomfortable, they just get up and they move. They don't think about like, what is my human going to think if I go from the couch to the floor? They just are like, hmm, hot, moving. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes I think about that too. Like I simplify, like, what is it that I really want? Yeah. What are, what are the needs that need to be met right now? Beautiful ways. Um, uh, favorite snack sounds like Sour Patch Kids. Any any other favorites? Uh, I like pre- I'm a pretzel or potato chip kind of gal. I, I think I like the crunch of that too. 
Savory crunches. Savory okay. crunchy, yeah. <laughs> what, and what turns you on? And that can be either sexually or it can be like intellectually, creatively, like what helps you kind of tune in to what you need, whatever that looks like. Uh, I like a bit of the, uh, and maybe this is, I don't know if this is like post COVID or it's, I'm learning more about it. I know it's like the rapid fire part of the session. It's also a long form podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Do what you gotta do, baby. I'm here for it. I like the idea of like getting dressed up and doing a, like, like putting some effort in both for me and my partner. Um, now I realize that's not possible all the time. Um, so I do really, I do really like the times when we get to do that. And I notice cause it usually leads to like, there's more intimacy, both emotionally, intellectually, uh, usually. So I don't know if you've ever read or have had listeners read come as you are. It's come up numerous times, but so I have not yet read it. This is Emily. Nagowski, I want to say. Sounds right. Basically, it talks about like learning how, like learning your, how to like preheat the oven and like what, what it looks like. Some people are like quick heaters, some are like slow burns. And so usually the whole evening of that or an afternoon or whatever it is, like is very helpful. Um, I have a hard time shifting between, I think, some of my hats and my roles. Um, So Mm -hmm. I, I really do need the like, I need the space and the time. Costume change. <laughs> Costume, yeah. Yeah, in its very real form, right? Like, if I'm doing this, I'm, like, not mucking stalls in this outfit. <laughs> Seriously. But I think that that's real, especially if you're both working from home, essentially, and, like, part of your work is barn work, then, like, I think it's helpful to be, like, now I am sexy. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm, I'm going to try my hardest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is your favorite way to play? Ooh. Um... What is my favorite way to play? Great question. I am really reconnecting with, I think, my younger self through my daughter and being able to play. And I mean, she finds joy in just sometimes the simplest things. So we are laughing a lot and um, movement is usually a part of it. She likes parks. She's a, I wouldn't say she's like a high energy, but she is busy. So she likes to be moving, whether it's like on a swing or a little slide or walking around here, carrying this, but, um, that, and then just giggling. We laugh, she laughs a lot and I laugh a lot. So hmm. I playing with, with her being silly with her. And I wasn't, I wasn't sure what that would, what that would look like or how I was going to do that. But I am grateful for her that she is doing it so innocently. Yeah, and you look genuinely like lit up when you when you talk about it. So that's really nice to see. Uh, and finally, what do you love? Ah, uh, so many things. So much to be grateful for. I think I love. I love how intentional. Well, I was gonna say I love my life, and I think because what I'm loving about it is how intentional I've been and how I'm working with the people I want to work with and helping the people I want to and doing it in a way that feels right for me. It wouldn't be right for everybody else. Um, but I love that horses are a part of my personal and professional life. I love that they've reconnected. Uh, they've connected us in the first place. They are reconnecting us. Um, yeah. yeah. So 
yeah, I, lo- I really, I'm really grateful, really love the things I have in my life. That's really beautiful. I'm really happy to see you again. And I'm curious, is anybody interested in your practice or about the podcast? Where can they find you on the World Wide Web? Yes. Uh, my website is www.b uh, hyphen herd.com. Um, I'm on Instagram. And to clarify, you can see it in the show notes. It'll be be-herd.com. Thank you very much. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and it will, uh, Instagram is the handle is B E H E R D counseling, um, to find stuff there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Brianna. It's been such a pleasure catching up and I'm so like proud and grateful for, for this time together. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me. It has been a pleasure. I love the conversation. Hopefully we will have more, uh, either in this forum or any other forum. Creativity, authenticity, body autonomy, mental health, sexuality, gender identity, recovery, recovery, got it, mental growth, suffer, sex, all of this and more. Um, I just want, if you're still listening, which is like crazy, um, because this was a long one and very specific, (laughs) Um, a very specific intersection of interests, Uh, I just wanted to tell you that I appreciate you listening and that if you love this show and would like other people to find out about it, please tell a friend, share an episode with them, follow it on one of your digital streaming platforms, um, put it on your Instagram stories tweet about it, talk about it, give us a review, give us five whole stars. If you don't want to give us five stars, don't review it. <laughs> Only good reviews, please. Uh, yeah, that's it. This probably, this like outro probably won't get us more good reviews, us, the royal we, me. But um, yeah, thank you. I love you.